Training's hard. Really, really hard. Texas snapped a three-game losing streak to Oklahoma on Saturday and looked to snap another one against the Iowa State Cyclones this Saturday. 11 a.m. kickoff once again. This time, I believe, on ABC. What, Scott? ABC. ABC. A Cyclone team still has Matt Campbell, but a lot of new faces, including Hunter Deckers, the redshirt freshman quarterback. I think some say he's a sophomore. Who knows with COVID anymore? But a Westcott, a different Iowa State team than years past, starting off with no more Brock Purdy. Yeah, Brock Purdy gone. Uh, certainly a guy that gave Texas some issues. Um, over 12,000 passing yards, 81 passing touchdowns. Uh, may have been Mr. Irrelevant in the NFL draft, but um, he's a guy, four-year starter. Uh, when he left Ames, he owned 32 school records. Um, one of his favorite targets, Charlie Kolar. Um, he was a guy who had 23 touchdowns, over 2,000 receiving yards, 168 career catches. Um, you know, other guys, Chase Allen, uh, their other big tight end, more of their blocker. Uh, some important guys on defense, Greg Eisworth, the safety. Um, Ishim Young, another safety, he ended up transferring um, to Ole Miss. Uh, Mike Rose, a linebacker. Uh, so just, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of experience on that Iowa State team last year. Disappointing for them to go seven and six. Uh, of course, uh, you know, Brees Hall, the star running back as well. Uh, one of the few really highly recruited guys. Um, on that Iowa State roster, but um, you know, for all the program culture that Matt Campbell has has built at in Ames, which is uh, you know certainly commendable and, and something that you know I think some Texas fans have certainly been you know watching and, and a little bit jealous of, especially you know with some of those losses over the last year. Um, tough for a school like um, Iowa State uh, to be able to replace uh, some of that lost production with the type of players that they're typically recruiting. Haven't lost three games in a row since Matt Campbell's first year in 2016. A chance to lose four in a row for the first time since also Matt Campbell's first year. Uh, lost to Baylor. Open up Big 12 play by a touchdown, 31-24. Ugly loss at Kansas. Their freshman kicker, uh, Jace, uh, what's his last name? Jace Gilbert, I think he missed three field goals in that one, including one that tied up the very end and then lost to Kansas state last week by one point, a weird game for Kansas state. They had a touchdown turned into a fumble by McLeek Knowles who had the ball punched out the one yard line missed a field goal. So K state probably could have won that one a little bit larger than a one point lead. Iowa state had two drives, a chance to get in the field goal range and both times could not get anything going. So Xavier Hutchinson, the senior wideout, he leads college football in receptions. He's top 10 in receiving yards. Do a lot of just simple routes for, for Deckers to find him, crossing slants, uh, shallow crossing routes. But either way, Iowa State's going to try and find a way to get the ball to number eight on Saturday. Yeah, he's a guy, um, Texas Juco transfer coming in. Uh, Hutchinson has – 38.36.3% uh, of the catches for Iowa State, 45% uh, of the touchdown catches with five. He's a huge part of their offense. Um, I would expect Texas, uh, whichever cornerback uh, Hutchinson is matched up against, 
Uh, Texas, you know, likes to play uh, Brian Watson and Deshaun Jameson right and left. Um, but, you know, they're certainly going to, um, you know, probably give a little bit of help uh, to whoever that is over the top. And, you know, other than that, just, uh, you know, not a lot of production from that Iowa State receiving core, uh, not as much production uh, from the tight end position, especially missing uh, Kolar, you know, third down situations in the red zone with his physicality as a pass catcher. He was always willing um, you know, to to use his hands to be able to create a, a little bit of extra space. And, um, you know, Decker, you know, I'm not really sure what to make of him so far. Um, you know, good completion percentage, uh, left-handed guy. He's thrown some interceptions, had two against Baylor when he was sacked four times, um, another one against Kansas, uh, sacked five times in that game. Um, so, you know, some protection problems. And, uh, you know, Matt Campbell is kind of mentioning this week that, uh, they feel like they're they're just uh, very close a lot of times, but uh, struggling to really put together their execution. Out of the quarterbacks who qualify for um, EP, EPA expected points added, Hunter Deckers is, is bottom three just ahead of Donovan Smith and Baron Morton, two Texas Tech quarterbacks. Now, of course, Donovan Smith did beat Texas earlier this season, but I think being a home game is – Obviously, a huge advantage for Texas, who have had their struggles against Iowa State. Obviously, haven't won since 2018, but did win at home against 2018 against a much better Iowa State program. I think Brock Purdy was still see a redshirt freshman that year, but that was a really big victory for a Texas team that had struggled against the Cyclones for most part of this decade. And considering what happened last year, the the 30 to seven loss after leading seven to three at halftime. Um, just a lot, a lot of give up in that second half, especially from the Texas defense, obviously dealing with a lot of injuries with Casey Thompson. I think Casey started that game, came out, Hudson Card came in, didn't score a single point in the second half. Looking at the Kansas State game and, and the Baylor game too, they haven't faced an offense or a quarterback like Quinn Ewers. Now, defensively, the metrics love Iowa State. They're, they're top 10 in FBI. I think they're ninth defensively. Don't give a lot of points. Rushing defense is one of the best in the country. They did a good job containing Deuce Fawn last week. But do you think some of that is just because of the teams they played? Because their best win this season comes against the Iowa team, who might have the worst offense in football history. No, I don't think it's all competition level. Um, you know, SP plus opponent adjusted number 17 in that, um, you know, the total numbers are, are really impressive regardless of competition. Um, first in big 12 scoring defense, 13.7 points per game, only give up 91 yards on the ground against the run, 186.5 passing yards. They've only given up one run of 30 plus yards, three runs of 20 plus yards, um, and only four passes of 40 plus yards. And uh, two of those came last week against Kansas State, uh, 60 plus yard touchdown, and then an 80 plus yard play where they're able to force uh, one of those kind of crazy um, fumbles right at the goal line and ended up recovering that one. Uh, so a couple of coverage busts on the back end. It was sort of hard to tell watching, um, you know, the replay of those plays, what exactly was going on. But, um, you know, certainly one of the things that uh, makes that defense so difficult to play against 
other than the fact that they're just generally uh, well coached by coordinator John Haycock is, you know, that three, three structure that um, Ian Boyd likes to call the flyover defense. Uh, That was something that Iowa state actually put in um, in 2017, right before the Texas game, you know, at that time it was just kind of a a dime defense uh, drop eight, you know, rush three from that uh, tight front that they've continued to use, which, uh, Todd Orlando ran for a while at Texas, um, you know, but I think the the structure of that defense makes it really difficult to break down. Uh, they like to play three safeties. Uh, those are all guys who can come downhill, uh, get into the, um, you know, help out with the running game. And it's really difficult uh, to account for them uh, with blocking schemes. Uh, those guys at the third level. Uh, one thing I would say about them, they they like to play fairly shallow, um, you know, so I think, you know, as usual, Steve Sarkeesian will really, you know, try to see if he could run Xavier Worthy past them, um, you know, with the type of depth that they typically like to play at, uh, that's certainly, you know, going to be a dangerous thing for them, but uh, really sensational against the run so far this year. And they just, they don't have very many coverage busts on the back end. So, um, you know, real challenge for Texas. And I think, um, you know, schematically, I, I think Steve Sarkeesian you know, even though that team was limited, just had some um, had some difficulties going against that. Um, that's not a defense that he really saw very much of. Um, it's one that, you know, Tom Herman and, and some of the various schemes that he employed, um, you know, has had really a lot of trouble against. And uh, as Sark mentioned this week, um, it's kind of difficult to replicate uh, because, you know, they can give them scout team looks, but um, it's not a defense that, that Texas really runs. Uh, they don't know it as well. It's a, a fairly complex defense. Uh, they make it difficult for opposing blocking schemes uh, because it's not always easy to get a good pre-snap read um, on which guys are, are going to uh, be blitzing on those plays. They have a variety of simulated pressures uh, that they use. So, you know, really for Texas, um, you know, on the offensive side of the ball, it's going to come down to uh, really being able to break down a scheme that, uh, they haven't had success doing uh, Steve Sarkeesian uh, didn't have success trying to break it down last year. And it's one that's, uh, you know, designed to take away one of the best parts of this Texas offense, which is uh, the ability of, of B. John Robinson uh, to be able to break tackles and get into the open field. I think I saw today uh, 11 broken tackles for B. John Robinson last week against Oklahoma. That was the most in the country. Giving up about 1.3 points per drive defensively, 14th best in the nation, five yards per play, 22nd in the nation. Pretty good for a defense that have lost a lot of guys. They only returned three starters this season, including Anthony Johnson, the junior safety part of that flyover defense, and then Will McDonald, junior defensive end, who I believe has over 30 sacks in his career, uh, getting close to a big 12 record. He's the first team all American, but a pretty young defense in judging off what I saw against Baylor and Kansas and Kansas state. It looks like they're going to give Texas some of that intermediate options. The the type of same, the same thing that Oklahoma kind of presented Texas with, whereas we're going to take away the deep ball. We're going to give you those intermediate layers and yours was able to attack. And I feel like Texas will have some opportunities to do that again on Saturday. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I think Jatavian Sanders is a guy who will be really important, you know, as much as uh, those 
you know, that structure is of that defense with the three safeties um, is difficult to break down. I think, you know, running seam routes, uh, maybe, you know, like that touchdown pass that, um, you know, that, that uh, you were through to, to Sanders um, and the kind of towards the end of the, the first half there yeah. uh, down the seam, that was a route where they really flooded that Oklahoma defense with, uh, you know, a lot of vertical guys. And I think that's something that uh, Texas could try to do against Iowa State as well, because, you know, one of the things that makes Jatavian Sanders so unique is that, you know, if if, uh, if an Iowa State linebacker has to carry him, uh, particularly Orion Vance, who's kind of on the on the big side at about 260 pounds, uh, Sanders is going to outrun him. And uh, once he gets past, you know, the linebacker, uh, he's so big that he's tough to deal with. And certainly we've seen the ability from Quinn Ewers to be able to drop those balls over linebackers and in, in, in front of safeties. Um, you know, one of the things that, you know, Baylor also tried to do is, is really get um, Iowa State flowing and then trying to work outside, uh, whether it was to a, a tight end or whether it's to a wide receiver. And so I think kind of trying to get those guys to move um, and then getting outward breaking routes, uh, particularly, you know, one play that Baylor ran that should have gone for a touchdown uh, that they missed on was kind of a double pick route um, against man coverage. And they were able to get uh, the inside receiver on an outside breaking route open on that play. So, um, you know, I would expect Texas to try to do some of that stuff. But, um, you know, once again, one of the big storylines of this game um, is whether Texas can find success against a defense they haven't had success against and one that Sark didn't have success against last year either. Only allowing about three yards per rush. Kind of reminds me maybe of how the West Virginia defense kind of played against Texas. I'm curious what you think the Longhorns offensive game plan will be because we haven't really seen Quinn Ewers play a defense like this yet. We saw a quarter against Alabama and obviously Oklahoma's defense does not compare the Iowa State's defeat defense statistically, but just curious, are we going to see a similar game plan, you think, to what we saw against West Virginia, or has that changed significantly with when you were at quarterback now? Yeah, um, I think it may. You know, Oklahoma actually run some of the, um, the flyover stuff early on after um, Iowa State installed that defense. Brent Venables and his staff at, at Clemson, uh, went out to Ames to be able to uh, pick the minds of of Haycock and uh, Matt Campbell to try to get a, a better understanding of that. Uh, they've run some of that since then. Uh, they have a little bit of that structure still in their defense with the move to Oklahoma. Um, so I'd expect that some of the things that were successful against Oklahoma uh, could have a chance to be successful. Um, you know, one, especially, you know, if they're trying to get open deep, one thing that Sark uh, likes to do on shot plays to, to Xavier Worthy, he likes to run uh, deep crossing routes against uh, for Jordan Whittington. Um, he also had um, a nice catch in that game where he faked that deep crossing route and then pivoted back outside. Um, I think that's the type of route concept uh, that could work against Iowa State that would be really difficult for them to defend. And then I also like a lot of the RPO stuff that uh, Texas has been doing on the perimeter. Um, you know, saw it. Uh, with Roshan Johnson uh, running wheel routes or, or Keelan Robinson uh, had a catch on, on the wheel route out of it. It's an inside zone run pass option uh, with Jatavian Sanders coming across the formation uh, like he's going to block on slice zone. Uh, he actually comes out into the flat. He had a, a catch on that play early in the game uh, that got knocked down from 29 yards to 16 yards after he stepped out of bounds. Uh, that's been a play that's been really good for Texas uh, the last few weeks. It's difficult for defenses 
uh, to deal with it because it puts, you know, some really athletic players in, in space against them. Uh, that was actually one of the plays that they were running uh, that looked good and it, like it could be dangerous if they had Roshan Johnson throw out of um, – the wildcat formation and you know obviously that's a play that, that makes a lot more success to have you know the quarterback throwing the ball they, they've been running that consistently um and that's been a really good play for the longhorns that uh, they've been able to get uh some good yardage off of offensively for iowa state we, we talked a little bit about hunter deckers and xavier hutchinson not really having a second threat dealing with some issues at running back in terms of injury uh, Jarrell Brock, the sophomore, he was playing injured throughout the Kansas State game. I believe he ended up not coming back in the fourth quarter. And then Cartavius Norton, uh, their freshman, supposed to be a star running back. I do not believe he played last week. Uh, Coach Campbell said both Norton and Brock are, or are day-to-day. And then Deion Silas, uh, another redshirt freshman running back, Bravo. Uh, who's looked really good this season. What does Iowa State have in terms of uh, running backs? Because the last, you know, three, four years, Wes, Scott, we're used to David Montgomery or the Brees Halls who seemingly break about seven tackles per game. Yeah, um, you know, it's been it's been rough for Iowa State at, at that position in the last few weeks uh, with those injuries and especially as they try to replace um, – you know, a guy with so much talent as as production as as Bryce Hall. Uh, so far, they just haven't, you know, really been able to get much going. Eli Sanders is a freshman, has 26 carries for 82 yards. He hasn't scored a touchdown yet. Silas under, averaging under four yards per carry. Uh, so, you know, Brock did have a pretty solid start to his season, a little over five yards per carry, two touchdowns. Uh, interestingly enough, he's a guy who, um, you know, is actually a, a more highly rated prospect than Hall was coming out of high school one of those rare four-star top 250 prospects um, for Iowa State he's kind of been languishing you know on the depth chart but behind Hall not really you know having a lot of carries you see you know sometimes he's got some good shake to him can make guys uh, miss in the open field but I'm um, still a little bit of an unknown at the college level for what his you know upside looks like and um, you know, whether or not, you know, he can come back or, or Norton can play, you know, I think fairly significantly changes, you know, what this Iowa State offense could kind of look like because uh, it's certainly attacked this kind of bereft of weapons right now, uh, sitting at uh, number 70 nationally um, in SP plus right now coming into this game. You had a point or uh, a post on Burn Orange Nation uh, today that encouraged everyone to check out. That last year against Iowa State, of course, following that 37 loss, we had the infamous Bo Davis rant. Uh, talk about your article today and, and what's changed for Texas since um, one of the great uh, cult moments in Texas football history, I would say. Yeah, well, uh, you know, Bo Davis was extremely upset after that game. Um you know, not, I think not just the performance on the field, but how the players were reacting to it on the team bus afterwards, not taking it seriously. Uh, one player ended up recording that rant. Uh, somehow it became public. And, um, you know, I thought that last year at the time that it provided a lot of insight into the difficulties that Steve Sarkeesian and his staff were having in building a team culture that had come just after Joshua Moore reportedly had an altercation with Steve Sarkeesian in practice. Uh, he left the program uh, several days after that. Um, Sarkeesian was talking very publicly about um, how he's considered a player's coach, but uh, they're going to coach guys hard. I think some of the Texas players were struggling with that last season. Um, I thought that, you know, Davis 
you know, I was really telling guys that some of them needed to be in the transfer portal in that moment. Uh, Texas had almost 20 players enter the transfer portal. Uh, a couple more guys who ended up uh, giving up COVID years of eligibility and, and moving on from football. Ultimately, uh, Texas had um, 35 new players come in, in in the 22 recruiting class between high school signees and uh, guys that they brought in from the transfer portal. That meant that Texas turned over uh, 40% of their roster coming into this season. Um, but I, I just thought that, uh, you know, there have been some real signs of improvement uh, from the Texas uh, team culture from uh, Texas leadership, uh, from being able to, to take an accountability. Uh, I thought it was significant um, the way that they played since they had the players only meeting. Um, I think it's been significant. Um, you know, other guys stepping up as leaders, including Jatavian Sanders, uh, Bijan Robinson, really making sure uh, that guys hear him more often than they did in his first two seasons. And I think God's just being coachable. Uh, Sanders was a guy who got coached really hard by Jeff Banks. Uh, throughout last season into spring practice uh, with his issues, uh, becoming a, a real physical blocker and, and adjusting uh, to his new position at tight end. I think, you know, kind of the low key nature of, of Quinn Ewers and his ability uh, to be very coachable, um, you know, on practice fields and in games um, is something that's really positive for this program. And I thought that some of, uh, you know, Bijan's comments after he fumbled against Texas Tech were telling about, you know, how all of his teammates really picked him up and, you know, that I let them know uh, the closeness of this team. They've been really, uh, you know, focused on, um, you know, uh, team building, uh, getting to know each other better throughout the offseason, uh, having the, the new football facility finished instead of having to be being based out of the north end zone uh, like they were last season. Uh, through a lot of the offseason, you know, I think has been, you know, really beneficial for Texas. So, you know, I'm not entirely sure if, if they've completely turned the corner there. Uh, this upcoming stretch of games uh, will provide some significant tests. You know, I was you know, struggling with Iowa State's defense, uh, going to Oklahoma State, uh, playing Kansas State, playing TCU. Uh, so, you know, we'll learn a lot more about this Texas football team in the coming weeks. Uh, but in the 11 months since that rant, I think there's been some real positive signs for the type of culture that Steve Sarkeesian is trying to build at Texas. You've had a few days since the Oklahoma win. Has anything changed for you in terms of expectations for this season? Um, not in the last couple of days, but, you know, I think that, you know, it, it seemed pretty clear. And I, I think the players knew that the season was at a potential inflection point after that Texas Tech game. And I think that, um, you know, their attention to detail, their increased emphasis on that has resulted in, in better execution over the last couple of weeks. And, um, you know, I think Texas, you know, again, like we talked about on Monday, Texas has been playing better complimentary football. Uh, they've been getting closer to uh, making game changing plays. They've made, you know, those two interceptions uh, were important in that Oklahoma game. And so I think, um, you know, positive signs uh, for where this program is heading compared to two weeks ago. But, um, you know, of course, in a game where Texas, you know, is heavily favored in this uh, by Las Vegas and heav heavily favored, um, you know, in a lot of the different metrics, you know, with, uh, I think close to 90 percent in ESPN's uh, FPI uh, win expectancy. Um, this is a game where, you know, Texas needs to continue to show growth as a program by taking care of business against, um, you know, an Iowa State team that um, is still looking to put things together. And, uh, you know, Texas needs to do enough defensively against this offense 
to ensure that they can't do it. And they need to be able to find ways to, to, uh, you know, create. So either create some big plays or just be able to sustain drives, you know, against the um, second best defense that they've faced so far this season by a pretty significant margin. And a chance to really get to Hunter Deckers as well. He's been sacked 14 times. I think he was sacked five times against Kansas, if I'm correct. Um, right. Noticed against Kansas State that towards the third and fourth quarter, when they were trailing and then up by one, they kind of went away from blitzing Deckers in drop, basically eight back and said, you got to beat us. And he really couldn't. And we talked about Hutchinson being – the, the top targeted receiver in the country. I mean, there's, there's points where Decker's really is just staring down Hutchinson and Kansas state kind of just figured out, well, we're just going to double team him. And Decker still would end up throwing to him and double and triple coverage. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, kind of brings up one of the decisions that Texas will have to make in this game. Um, you know, what should be a pretty solid home crowd coming after, uh, you know, that shutout victory, over Oklahoma, you know, I'd expect that there should be a good environment at DKR uh, for young quarterbacks like this. And in Texas has had some success against Iowa state quarterbacks in the past. You know, I would like to see, you know, Texas be aggressive in the early going um, and really try to get Deckers out of rhythm, uh, maybe try to produce a, you know, an interception or a fumble um, by, by showing him some blitzes and, um, you know, giving him some, some different looks and, you know, maybe later in the game, if it comes to it, um, it might make sense to, to drop more players into coverage, but um, you know, if I'm Pete Kwiatkowski, I want to put him under pressure early and uh, make him uh complete difficult throws and instead of allowing a lot of those easy completions like they did against Texas tech early in that game that I thought Donovan Smith, you know, really allowed him to gain way too much confidence throughout of the game. And then they just weren't able to get him out of that rhythm um, often enough. And considering Deshaun Jameson is coming off his best game too, would you like to see them play a little bit more man? Um, yeah, I think, uh, playing playing man coverage is is the best way to really get um that tight coverage i haven't really uh taken a deep dive into you know iowa state's offense to see you know what they do in terms of um you know their man beater routes and and whether they're you know running pick plays or a lot of uh, shallow crosses that are difficult to deal with in man coverage so a lot of shallow crosses um, from what i've seen so far this year yeah so you know that's certainly one thing to consider um, you know, if you want to talk about playing a lot of a lot of man coverage, that can be um, difficult to deal with. Um, but, you know, I think, um, you know, that'll be that'll be a question for for Pete Kwiatkowski. You know, it'll be um, interesting to see, you know, what they what they choose to come out with, because I, I just haven't taken a deep enough look at at Iowa State to have a strong opinion on on how Texas should play in terms of man or zone coverage on the back end. Hutchinson had 96 receptions last year. Um, 96 receiving yards, excuse me, eight receptions last year against Texas. The last three losses have really been ugly, Westcott. Looking back at 2019, lost by two at Iowa State. That was, remember, Sam Ellinger converted a fourth and goal, I believe, to Malcolm Epps. was one of the most incredible plays Sam Ellinger ever made. And one of the most underrated plays, considering Texas would end up giving up the game-winning field goal. And then 2020... Basically, the end of Tom Herman. I mean, he might have been gone already, but that loss basically solidified he was out. I believe Cameron Dicker missed a, a tying field goal from about 50, was it 58 yards, 59 yards? 
Yeah, I think it was 50 plus yards. I think it was it was a pretty hopeful attempt there. Yeah, and I believe it was uh, super windy. It wasn't a great day outside of DKR. And then last year, of course, was pretty ugly. But we've seen some pretty damn ugly losses to Iowa State since that 2018 victory. Yeah, it's kind of uh, over the last 12 years since Texas took their first loss to Iowa State before they're even really any good. Just some uh, some bad performances uh, by Texas against uh, the Cyclones. Certainly, you know, in the in the Matt Campbell era, he deserves a lot of credit for that. I think, you know, he's outcoached uh, Texas way too often during that stretch. And, um, you know, I think one thing to really watch out for if this game, you know, ends up being closer than than expected and gets played in the margins. Um, Iowa State is 130 in special teams this year. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of that is probably the issues that they're having in the kicking game. No more Connor Ass Alley. Uh, they have a, a freshman and, you know, Gilbert, you know, missed a handful of kicks um, in that loss against Kansas. And, you know, right Right now for him, just struggling as a young player, um, it's a little bit too much of the ass and uh, not finding that alley quite enough for the Cyclones. <laughs> From booty to ass alley, man, what, what could have been? <laughs> and his misses came on the road against Kansas, which I believe was a sellout game for the Jayhawks. So if it is a really good environment for Texas, I'm curious how that impacts him. At home, he, he's been it's been pretty solid. I think he has one missed extra point. And then of course the three missed field goals um, against Kansas, which probably could have ended up. Well, if he makes all three that lifts Iowa state to a victory over the Jayhawks, but nonetheless, no more ass alley, unfortunately for, um, for Iowa state, Matt Campbell, he had, he had some words on Texas, right? I don't, I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, but I don't remember. It was last year or 2020 when he took, he took a couple shots at Texas, right? Well, Bryce Hall certainly did after that game a couple of years ago. And he said that uh, Texas had five-star players and didn't have five-star culture. Oh, uh, okay. We just talked about it earlier, but that's starting. It feels like that's really starting to change here. I know Joey McGuire, I think it was his, his post-game speech where he said, you know, Texas was going to end up, given up in that game and eventually they did. And of course with the players meeting following that, but it, it is it too early to believe that Texas has turned a corner here or do you want to wait and see after this game? Then of course the, the two tough road games coming up at Oklahoma state and then at Kansas state. Yeah, we're going to going to find out a lot about where Texas is in that regard to, you know, over the next two weeks. How do you think the big 12 shaping up since we're about, halfway through the season now only a couple games in the big 12 play but it seemed i think the prediction was oklahoma state baylor as the two big 12 teams in the title game Does that change for you yeah i'm not sure if baylor is quite as good as um some of the preseason polls thought that they were going to be i, I think you know baylor's another team you know going to find out you know quite a bit about them um in the coming weeks, you know, I think TCU's really been playing much better than expected. That that offense is, is really humming uh, with uh, with Max, Max Duggan right now. Um, extremely explosive, even with the, the loss of Zach Evans. Kendra Miller has really done a nice job stepping up for them. Um, you know, Oklahoma State's been you know, really hanging on to kind of that that top spot. Um, you know, Kansas State has been playing really well defensively. Uh, tough to deal with on the ground. And, you know, Adrian Martinez even making some plays, you know, in the passing game, you know, those two big plays against Iowa State, um, 
very much outliers this season um, in terms of the type of defense that they're that they've been playing, whether, you know, on the ground or through the air to give up uh, just some massive chunk plays like that. Um, you know, so in terms of, you know, teams trending up through the first half of the season, um, you know, definitely uh, Kansas State, you know, TCU, um, Texas Tech has been a pest. They're difficult for anybody to play against, as Texas certainly found out. Um, I would say kind of stock even for Baylor, uh, way down for Oklahoma, uh, pretty even for Oklahoma State. Um, and then Kansas as well, of course, as you know, we've talked about in the last several weeks, they're now dealing with an injury. Uh, to Jalen Daniels, uh, that that will certainly, you know, impact the, possibly the next several weeks to a month for them, to t- depending on the severity. I don't think that's uh, a lot of insight into that right now. But, um, you know, Jason Bean, the backup, came into that game, you know, last week, played pretty well, had them in a position, you know, to win the game against TCU, wasn't, you know, quite able to come up with the, the throw that would have uh, kept those chances alive. But, um, you know, he certainly looked like he's going to be capable of, of keeping uh, the Jayhawks dangerous. So, you know, stock way up on, on the Jayhawks as, as well. And, you know, the top teams in, in the Big 12, um, when you talk about, you know, Oklahoma State, Kansas State, uh, TCU and Kansas, uh, Texas hasn't faced any of those teams yet. Uh, so going to be a big finish for the Longhorns. I think, you know, one thing that's really positive for Texas right now is that other than the the two, you know, season-ending injuries to, to Ongolau and Naor uh, that they suffered in preseason camp, uh, for being six games into the season with two weeks ahead before the, the only bye week of the year, uh, you know, getting Quinn Ewers back and, and just really, you know, remarkably healthy right now for the Longhorns. And, uh, you know, that's something that not very many teams can say across college football right now. Yeah, I've been very clean when it comes to injuries. Get Jahil Billingsley back as well. Uh, this Saturday, he's going to bring a new dynamic to tight end position with how great Javon Sanders has played. And, of course, the offensive line, I think, has developed really nicely. A setback against Texas Tech, and Cole Hudson has had his moments, freshman moments. But Christian Jones, moving over from the left side to the right side of Westcott, he's turned into an incredible offensive lineman that I was not expecting to see this year. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, that that shift has been good for him. That kind of favors um, his dominant eye, as he told us in the preseason. And I think the other thing about Christian Jones was that you know, he was always going to be a guy who just needed reps. Um, you know, I, I really liked the, the long-term uh, developmental prospects for him when he came out of high school, just a, a really good athlete for his size, uh, showed some physicality, but hadn't played very much offensive line, hadn't played very much football at all, uh, played in a very – uh, run heavy triple option scheme, something that didn't prepare him very well um, for college. And so I think it, it's not really surprising that that he had the number of struggles that he's had because it was, it was just probably always going to look like that a little bit for him. Uh, but I think it's it's a credit to his continued hard work um, and to the coaching and developmental ability of Kyle Flood because, you know, we saw kind of flashes of it from Tope Amade, you know, late last season in his sixth year at Texas after he'd never been a contributor before. Um, but, you know, that's just that's such an area of struggle uh, for the Longhorns for so long now, you know, at the offensive line position. So, you know, it's hardening moving forward. Flood certainly came to Texas with a good reputation. But to see that development play out with guys like Amade and, and now uh, Christian Jones, uh, that's really positive for all of these young players. Uh, for Texas, especially all the young guys, you know, on the offensive line and, you know, Cole Hudson as well, you know, cleaning some stuff up over the last couple of weeks. And uh, Kelvin Banks just been really clean in pass protection um, all season so far. 
on both sides too in the trenches, defensive line and offensive line have just been two areas that Texas has just struggled with over the past decade. And they've already surpassed the sacks they had last year. So what Bo Davis and Kyle Flood have done on both sides has just been incredible. And, and a big reason why Texas looks like they're a much better team this point last this point this year than they were last year. Yeah, the, the development of uh, Byron Murphy hasn't been surprising since he really flashed last year. Um, you know, based on some of the buzz in, in preseason camp, you know, I thought he had a good chance to really pass Keandre, uh, Keandre Coburn, but, you know, Snacks has gotten much better about against the pass. He's playing really well overall. Uh, Devondre Sweat has really come on, made some nice plays, uh, real, you know, game-changing plays, almost made the huge game-changing play against Alabama. Didn't really get, you know, much help from the officiating there, but was in on that fourth down stop against Oklahoma, um, had a, a pass batted down um, against Texas Tech in the red zone in that close game uh, that helped Texas save some points. Uh, got his hands on another pass, I think, in the, in the West Virginia game maybe, but uh, really all those interior offensive linemen uh, playing well for Texas. Mora Ojimo playing some uh, defensive end this week for Texas. Uh, look good. So, um, you know, all those interior guys are, are really, you know, helping the Longhorns out and they're making it easier for the linebackers playing behind them. And I think that's uh, been a big reason why, um, you know, Texas hasn't had some of those issues with run fits at the position that they did last year. It's, uh, you know, a lot easier to be in the right position when you don't have a big offensive lineman right in your face so quickly. Predictions for Saturday against Iowa State. The line is currently favoring Texas by 16 and a half, the largest against a Big 12 opponent not named Kansas in quite some time. Um, I would probably take the under on that one. Um, you know, I think the tough thing against this Iowa State team is that, you know, Texas is really going to have to, you know, get a good game from – uh, Steve Sarkeesian from a, a game planning and, and a play calling standpoint, and they're going to have to execute better than they have against Iowa State in the past. And I, I certainly think that it's possible that Texas could blow this team out because there's just not not a lot of teeth to this Iowa State offense, and the Texas defense has really uh, been playing you know at a high level. You know, really, other than you know, as, as Sark has kind of noted on Sunday, it's really just been the you know. I thought it was really more than a bad half. He, he thinks it was a bad half against Texas Tech. I thought, you know, the, the execution was really pretty poor throughout that entire game. But, you know, even uh, taking that more critical view, uh, Texas, you know, has played, you know, well, really well, actually, you know, on defense and in five of the six games this year. It's been a huge improvement over last season. And I think, uh, you know, if Texas can hold, you know, Iowa State to, to 14 points or less, then I think they have a real chance to make this a, a comfortable win. And, and possibly cover the spread. But um, I'm skeptical about that and, um, until I see a little bit more from this team and, and until they can prove that they can play better against Iowa State because, you know, they haven't for a number of years now. Texas is 5-1 and one against the spread this season. I'm going to say they improved the 6-1 and one West guy. I don't think this Iowa State team, we mentioned they don't have any teeth. I don't think they will. And I don't think Deckers is ready for this moment against what should be a sold-out crowd um, against Texas. How many uh, how many tickets did the burn orange Kool Aid at the state fair cost you, Cam? Um, <laughs> I think I ended up spending about thirty. But the line thirty tickets for the Kool Aid. The lines long, long Kool Aid lines. Oh my goodness! I didn't even get a, get a Fletcher's corn dog because the lines after the game were so damn long. Which is you got to test the, the Texas fans. No one left their seats until that game ended. Didn't get a Fletcher's corn dog. The lines were 
ridiculously long. One gentleman told me he waited in line for an hour and a half for a corn dog Westcott. I was too hungry and too tired. I actually had fried Oreos before I actually had any real food that day. Um, fried Oreos were very good. How'd that sit on your stomach during the game? Not good. Well, I had it after the game. I had it after the game. Oh, after the game. Right. Before no, the game. Afterwards. Yeah, before the game, uh, we had someone bring one of the award-winning food items to us at our, our, our radio booth, the Texas Exit Spot, and it was buttermilk biscuits with uh, pulled pork, queso, corn, bacon, jalapenos. Tasted very good. Um, I nearly missed the first quarter, though. <laughs> i didn't try any of the the fried beard I, I was told not to get that or the fried coke um so just fried oreos this year would like to go up next year and actually spend a little bit more time um but it, it was the most packed i've seen it in, in quite some time probably because most texas fans had waited until the game had ended to leave the stadium for I don't think anyone moved out of their seat in that entire first half, Westcott, for or in the entire entire game rather for Texas. Meanwhile, the Oklahoma fans they weren't even sold out to begin with. Yeah, it was a um, it was a cool scene after the game. You know, the players being able to celebrate with the fans certainly for a lot of those guys very hard earned. Um, a handful of guys on the team: Anthony Cook, Marvian, uh, Overshone, a couple other guys uh, who were actually on the team when they won the last time in 2018. Um, even for seniors uh, like Roshan Johnson, had never won against Oklahoma. Uh, three losses, or, or you know, four losses for some of those older guys who were at that Big 12 championship game um, in 2018. But um, you know, good good for them and good for the program. And I think you know, Texas fans are really. Uh, smelling that victory on Saturday, but um, you know I don't think anyone really anticipated that it would go down quite like it did. The way Jordan Whittington celebrated, he ran all the way from the Texas sideline to basically the the northwest corner of the end zone, and he he was so excited, and the way he was screaming and yelling, he was just very emotional. It, it was awesome to see, especially for for guys like that would never beat in Oklahoma. You can't imagine how much, you know, it, it means to them because you, you think about it, like a lot of these guys who are recruited, right. They're recruited by both Oklahoma and Texas and to just get your, your brains beaten in, in, in three, four really tough losses by less than a touchdown. And of course the big 12 title game was a really tough loss to a team they had already beaten before. But now some of these guys like Jordan Winnington and Roshan Johnson, now they face Iowa state who they have not beaten yet in their Texas career, which is just wild to think about considering, you know, here's Texas and then here's Iowa state, but that just shows you where Matt Campbell and this cyclone program has been at compared to Texas the last three years. Yeah. Well, just, uh, you know, to follow back up on, on Whittington, um, this was the first time that he'd ever made it through the Oklahoma game healthy in his career. First year um, got injured and and re-aggravated his groin injury. Um, in the first half of the opener against Texas Tech. Um, sophomore year, redshirt freshman year against Oklahoma. Um, he started off hot, had a career high, 10 uh, pass catches uh, for 65 yards against Oklahoma. Uh, took like a bad shot, like a, a helmet, you know, kind of to the to the uh, musculature in his abdomen. Ended up missing three games due to that. Just kind of a weird freak injury. Um, and then last year uh, in that Oklahoma game, um, 
three receptions for 35 yards, one rush for eight yards. He had to leave the game against Oklahoma, uh, broke his collarbone yep. in that game. That was a, just kind of a bad pass from uh, Casey Thompson. I think that was after he had injured his thumb. Yeah, so he kind of lacking his accuracy and, and you know, just kind of forced uh, Whittington to dive. He made a, a great effort for the ball and just landed on his collarbone wrong. So, um, you know, just being able to make it through that Oklahoma game uh, healthy for the first time in his career, I think was probably huge for Jordan Whittington too. You know, a guy that uh, has just spent an incredible amount of time, you know, other than uh, a few ice cream breaks to really uh, put in the extra work to make sure that, that his body is right. And we talked about on this podcast as well, him changing, I think it was his diet and his routine and how he's taking care of his body. And it's shown, I mean, he's held up tremendously well throughout this entire season. And it feels like he's running so much faster and his games against Oklahoma. He's been a very good player in this red river showdown. His first year, his freshman year was really, that was his coming out party had 65 receiving yards, 10 catches after only only two catches the week before. And then, of course, this year he led the led the horns in reception. So he seems to have always shown up in this Oklahoma game and glad for him as a player that he finally can also just stay healthy, but also get a victory. Yeah, Whittington, kind of an interesting guy from his physical development standpoint, because um, his brother, um, you know, is a, is a you know bodybuilder and weightlifter, um, and so I think you know Whittington was was more advanced than a lot of kids, kind of in in high school. Um, you know, I'm not sure that he. I think he may have been a little bit um, overdeveloped at times, carrying a little bit too much weight. Um, I think he's he's leaned up just a little bit, and I think you know just the the aspect of of being able to take care of your body is uh, something that you know he really had to learn, and I think you know, that was difficult for him because he was spending so much time rehabbing uh, that he was always trying to get back healthy um, instead of really having enough time to focus on maintaining his health. So, you know, great, great to see um, from him. You know, he's always a great guy to talk with and certainly uh, was, was what uh, rough seeing him, you know, go through that. But I think at the same time, um, you know, as difficult as that was from him that, you know, has really helped him uh, mature a lot. And so, you know, I think he's at a really good place right now, physically and, and personally, and certainly with, you know, the way that he's performing on the football field. Is it just injury luck for Texas this season, or is it just the change in the strength and conditioning staff? Because outside of the Angolau and Nair injuries, which I believe were two non-contact injuries, besides that, Texas has stayed so healthy. I think probably a little bit goes the strength and conditioning. I think that tends to get a little bit overplayed sometimes. The when you really start to worry about, um, you know, what the strength and conditioning coach and, and how the medical staff is is, hand, is handling, you know, a team is, is really when uh, you got you have guys that start getting a lot of soft tissue injuries. Uh, Texas hasn't had that, so I think you know that's a credit to the strength and conditioning and, and the players for taking care of themselves. But um, I think mostly right now, Texas, you know, had good injury luck, even, you know, some of the ankle injuries that they've suffered Hudson card, you know, was able to play through it, play pretty well. Uh, Deshaun Jameson missed one half and came back, um, you know, so that's, that's definitely injury luck there that um, they haven't had any, you know, more significant high ankle injuries, um, you know, and, and certainly uh, you know, not much else of consequence. Any other uh, takeaways or, or notes on Iowa State or, or the Big 12 before we wrap up? No, I don't think so. It's just, uh, 
you know, reflecting back on what it was like to play, you know, Ohio State from, you know, 2002 to 2009 and then, you know, that loss in 2010 and how much that series has changed with, uh, you know, Matt Campbell, um, you know, going to Ames, you kind of wonder what, you know, his future might look like. He's decided to stick around, uh, certainly bought a lot of goodwill at Iowa State, but, um, you know, one of the difficult things to get back to, you know, all the guys that they've had to replace, just, you know, maintaining, you know, their level of performance, um, you know, at a program that kind of has the extremely limited recruiting base that Iowa State does is really difficult. And, you know, it seems like he's happy at, at uh, you know, Iowa State and, you know, certainly, you know, good for him if if he's happy as a college football coach there's not a lot of uh college football coaches who seem to have a lot of balance in their lives and uh i think there's you know a lot of schools that would like to pry him away but um you know he's done a he's done a remarkable job in ames i don't think that there's very many other coaches in the country who could accomplish what what he's done you know at that program over the last few years there's a point in the in the short texas coaching shirt search where matt campbell's name had come up and he I believe you publicly had to say, I'm not interested in leaving Iowa state for Texas. Do you remember that? Yeah. He seems like a very uh, Midwestern guy. So the thought has kind of been that, you know, he might want to stay in the Midwest, you know, maybe a program like Nebraska. Um, I think that would probably be a, a poor move for him, just like it might be for Lance Leipold, Nebraska, um, you know, is in a, a tough spot with their expectations. still much higher than uh, what they're likely to be able to, to achieve. Um, in terms of recruiting. So, um, you know, Matt Campbell's, you know, built that program to the probably, you know, the best spot that it's, it's ever been in, certainly in the modern, you know, era of the game. And, um, you know, that's something that he seems in, invested in continuing to invest in. It seems like Nebraska has Matt Roll's name all over it. And for Leipold and Campbell, why would you want to take the Nebraska job when, you got to play Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, Wisconsin, Penn State every year. When when Texas OU leave, you know, you have Cincinnati, maybe Oklahoma State, but there's a real chance where you can become the dominant team in the Big 12, which will still be a Power 5 conference. Yeah, BYU is, I think, is yeah, a program that's in, in a good good shape under Kalani Sataki right now. Um, although, you know, continuing to find good quarterback play. Um, you know, it's going to be a challenge once uh, Jaron Hall moves on there. Um, but yeah, you know, I think that especially, you know, Leipold is, is seen at Kansas, the amount of fan support that can, um, you know, that he can generate quickly just with having a, a competent football team. So, you know, while the ultimate upside of, of Kansas football uh, might be a little bit limited, they are also planning to invest in their facilities, uh, something that they're going to have to do to, to be able to keep him. And, you know, the, the fan support, um, you know, at Kansas is, is something that, you know, I think will make it more attractive um, for him to stay there a little bit longer. Leipold lost, lost six games as a Division three head coach, which is, that's ridiculous. Uh, big game this week against Oklahoma. No word yet whether or not Dylan Gabriel will be available or Jalen Daniels. If Gabriel can't go, does Oklahoma lose four straight? I think there's a good chance of that. I mean, they really need to get somebody other than uh, Davis Bevel ready to play this week. Uh, the failure to do so last week, I think, um, was a little bit of indictment of of Jeff Levy and just kind of uh, how they structured uh, that quarterback room going into their first season. And now looking at the Texas schedule, there's a chance that the first four games of the Big 12 for Texas have been against the four worst teams in the conference. Texas Tech, West Virginia, Oklahoma – 
in Iowa State. Now, when we look at the schedule, we kind of thought maybe that the first half would be the toughest. But now it looks like the second half for sure will feature possibly four. Well, if you include Oklahoma State, the last five games will be the top top five of the top six Big 12 teams. Yeah, and three of those five games after this Iowa State game are, are going to be on the road. Yeah. Um, Stillwater, uh, Manhattan are going to be very tough places to play in with how well those teams are playing and, and the type of, you know, atmosphere that, um, you know, that you can get at T-Boone, T-Boone Pickens Stadium and uh, Bill Snyder Family Stadium. So um, I'm going to be – going to be an exciting uh, exciting October and November for the Longhorns, no question. And Oklahoma State and TCU, a pair of undefeated Big 12 teams, will face off this Saturday. Baylor's playing West Virginia on a Thursday night for some reason. That can get a little bit weird in Morgantown on a night game. And I uh, believe Kansas State has a bye week this week as well. We mentioned Kansas, Oklahoma, and then I believe Texas Tech also has a bye week. So we'll get a clearer picture of the Big 12, probably after the Oklahoma State game. Glad we have a bye week in between Oklahoma State and Kansas State, possibly the two front runners for the conference. You want to throw TCU in there, you can as well. Um, the TCU night game or the TCU game, which I'm assuming will be a night game, should be a really fun environment. But, of course, that's, uh, that's about a month from now. Any other final thoughts, Westcott? Uh, I assume they've either canceled or will cancel class in uh, West Virginia after that game. On Thursday night? Yeah, no Friday classes in Morgantown after that, I, I would imagine. You think it's going to be an upset? No, I just don't think that they're going to ask kids to go to class because wow. nobody's going to go to class regardless of what happens. And that wasn't a rescheduled game. That was uh, in the schedule on Thursday night, unlike the Central Florida SMU game that was played on a Wednesday night last week because of Hurricane Ian. So interesting, interesting scheduling get, there. Get a few of those Big 12 Thursday night games. I was Texas played on Thursday night against Iowa State in 2017 when the uh, flyover D made its debut. That's right, the 17-7 victory of Tom Herman's first year. Yep. Well, check out the Iowa State preview from Westcott. That's dropping on Wednesday as well, along with the podcast nation.com for all your content needs and we'll be back monday to recap the game against iowa state well scott remember to keep your flashlights ready for the third fourth quarter performance of don't stop believing on saturday <laughs> where its debut came against iowa state in 2018 i think that might be frowned upon in the, in the press box yeah <laughs> All right, Westcott, until Monday. Cheers. Cheers. Winning's hard. Really, really hard.